Welcome to the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. As COP26 swings into action, I'm talking to Ian Riley, CEO of the World Cement Association. I recorded this conversation just before the association held its annual conference last month. Recognising that the industry is a major contributor to global emissions, the conference had a clear focus on emissions reduction. Sessions included key challenges in decarbonising hard-to-abate industry, carbon capture and storage and the cement industry, where we are and what's needed for net zero, and presentations on financing the transition and on low-carbon concrete. There was an interesting short video from Dr Paula Carey of Carbon8, who explained how carbonation can incorporate emissions into rock and effectively sequester them for all time. Here's what I discussed with Ian Riley. Ian Riley is the CEO of the World Cement Association. Ian, welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report. Thank you, Anthony. Pleasure to be here. The World Cement Association, a relatively new organisation. Tell me, what's your purpose? What's your role? Uh, what percentage of the world industry do you represent? So we were we were founded in 2006, and uh, we have three main objectives. Uh, so the, the first one is to give a voice to the industry and to the industry participants. So not just the big companies who can probably manage on their own, but also the smaller producers uh, around the world. Uh, secondly, we try to help our members to improve their operating performance, uh, to reduce their carbon footprint, uh, to improve their energy efficiency, and ultimately to reduce their costs. Um, and then thirdly, uh, we help to accelerate the decarbonization of the cement and concrete industry. And perhaps we can talk a bit uh, about that uh, in the course of the podcast today. Well, I think we will, because, of course, the carbon footprint of the industry is very significant. It's, I believe, two and a half gigatons per annum, which is about 7% of global CO2 emissions. So uh, anything you can do will have quite a significant effect. What steps are you taking in this direction? Yeah, so let me put it in a bit of context so that people can um, understand um, where the industry is and and then subsequently what we're trying to do about it. Uh, so the industry recognized 20 years ago uh, that that uh, emissions and particularly CO2, although not only CO2, uh, were a problem for the industry. So this uh, reduction in CO2 emissions is something that the industry has been working on for uh, yeah at least 20 years, over 20 years now. Uh, and in that period of time, the emissions per tonne have come down by um, about 23, 24%. Uh, so there has been some progress there, but clearly not enough to get us to net zero. Now, the, the, the challenge with, uh, with cement is that a large portion, about two thirds of the emission comes from the raw material. So the raw material is primarily limestone, and when that's um, put into a kiln, it breaks down into CO2 and calcium oxide. Uh, 
Uh, so you inevitably get that CO2 emission just in the nature of the process. Uh, the remaining uh, third is the energy use, primarily the fuel. Um, and so when we, we, we've looked at how we can reduce the emissions, we've looked at uh, uh, three levers traditionally. Uh, so the first is energy efficiency. And uh, with energy efficiency, of course, uh, uh, assuming you don't have to spend a lot of, of capex, then energy efficiency will save you money as well as reducing your, your, your carbon footprint. Uh, secondly is fuel switching. And again, this has been done uh, partly to save money, partly to reduce the carbon footprint. So this is generally switching away from coal uh, and uh, towards waste-derived fuels, or uh, in some cases, biomass. Uh, so the, the impact of that is, uh, is in reducing the carbon of the fuel, but it's also in some cases uh, performing, um, uh, what we say, a, a useful service to the municipalities who need to dispose of their waste in some way. And uh, burning it in, in a cement kiln is, is a safe and fairly cheap way of doing that. Um, and then the third way is to reduce the portion of cement that is coming from clinker. So clinker is the product that is made in the kiln, and then cement is, is ground clinker with gypsum and also a supplementary cementitious material. So the standard cement is, uh, uh, is just the clinker and the gypsum, uh, but the uh, blended cements, which are used more, uh, more and more these days, incorporate other materials, uh, particularly fly ash and slag, you know, which obviously are waste products from other industrial processes. And so by using uh, these, uh, these other cementitious materials, we can bring down the proportion of clinker used, which has, uh, you know, is where, where most of the uh, CO2 is generated. So that, that's kind of the, the picture with, with cement. Right. Um, when we go forward, when we look... Uh, forward, well, before you go forward, can, can I just ask you about emissions? Uh, are you looking in any way at carbon capture and storage in your process? Uh, yes, so if we if we go forward, I'll, I'll touch on that. Okay. There, okay. there is some work that has been done to date. Um, I think you would probably characterize it as, uh, yeah, perhaps it's a bit more than the pilot stage, but it's, you know, uh, early stages. Uh, and all of the work to date has received considerable government funding from uh, primarily uh, in, in Europe and, uh, and North America. And, and the, issue, the issue with um, carbon capture and storage is cost, but let's come back to that in a second. Mm -hmm. um, so going forward uh, from today, uh, we can probably reduce the carbon footprint by yeah, perhaps a third um, with the traditional levers. Yeah, and that will leave us two thirds that we need to do something else with, right? Yeah. Uh, and the something else at the moment is a question mark. Yeah, so from a, te a technology standpoint, the most advanced is, is CCS, but it's also very expensive. So when you look at, uh, you know, is that really the best way of doing it? Then it's a bit of a question mark. There are a lot of, of new technologies that look at carbon capture and usage, uh, primarily usage in building materials. So uh, in aggregates or in concrete um, that, look as if they have good potential and probably lower costs, but they, they haven't been scaled yet. 
So, you know, they have a question mark over their commercial feasibility uh, and indeed, uh, you know, whether the technology will work at scale. All right, reading, um, doing some background reading, I've come across um, carbon injection or rather CO2 injection into the mix as concrete is prepared. And apparently that is a method of sequestrating carbon dioxide because it uh, reacts and produces calcium carbonate and is inert and therefore is locked up forever. Uh, it might work against your members because apparently if you use CO2 in this way, you need less cement. Um, what, what's, what's the story on that? So this particular uh, technology you're describing is, uh, is an example of of one of the technologies that I was talking about. This one, it, it, um, which I think you're talking about carbon cures uh, technology is um, uh, one of the more advanced. They have, uh, I think now 400 uh, radiomix stations around the world that's using this technology. Um, and it, it absorbs a, a, a little uh, CO2 in that, uh, in that concrete making process. Uh, and it forms um, it forms these these nanoparticles of calcium carbonate that act as a cementitious material and allow the proportion of cement to be reduced. Uh, and so you save uh, you, you sequester a little CO2 in the concrete and you you save a little by reducing the cement uh, portion. Um, so the, the um, I, I think we could put the, the category the the technology into into three main categories around the uh, around the concrete. So the, there, are, there are technologies that absorb the CO2 into the concrete. Um, there are a company, a company called Solidia that's been around for perhaps 10 or 12 years um, that is producing, or that, well, that has a technology which it to, licenses to uh, cement producers uh, to produce a slightly different type of clinker. And uh, uh, this is then, turned into concrete using a direct carbonation method. So uh, by sitting the concrete blocks in CO2 chambers, uh, and, and this absorbs uh, CO2 during the, uh, the concrete uh, uh, curing process. Uh, so this, uh, uh, this has an overall um, impact of reducing the CO2 by about 70%, uh, vis-a-vis uh, -vis a standard process. Uh, but is is really limited in the applications that it can serve to uh, precast applications and currently without reinforcement because there's some question as to the uh, long-term impact of that method of uh, concrete curing on the uh, on the reinforcing steel whether it corrodes that uh, so there's uh, trials being done at the moment to see whether or not uh, that's the case. But obviously, when you're trying to judge things over a long period of time, the, the tests also take a long period of time. Of course. There's a, another company, uh, Carbon Built, which has started more recently that has a similar uh, a kind of approach with this slightly different chemistry. So that's, that's one kind of approach, is absorbing the, the, the CO2 into the, uh, into the concrete directly. Another kind of approach is to uh, use more of the supplementary cementitious materials uh, replacing clinker. And uh, in that area, there's a, a couple of significant step forwards. One is a, a cement, which is called LC3, which stands for limestone calcine clay cement. So this is a blend of clinker with calcine clay and limestone. 
uh, using about 50% clinker and giving uh, similar strength properties uh, to a cement that's made with 90, 95% clinker. So that's a, a pretty significant opportunity and just beginning to have uh, commercial acceptance. Uh, it's, also, it's also possible to have an LC2, um, which the concrete makers can use. So without the clinker portion, and then the concrete makers can blend the LC2 with the, uh, with the ordinary cement. Uh, so there's some flexibility on how to deploy that solution. Um, and uh, there's also a number of companies who are looking at how they can improve the quality of supplementary cementitious materials, um, partly so that you can use more of that and less clinker, and partly so that you can use more of, uh, more of the resource that is currently not used today. Uh, so uh, if you were to ask somebody for a, a zero carbon uh, cement today, then they would give you probably something that contains uh, slag and fly ash. And uh, the slag and fly ash, uh, uh, or the slag and fly ash of the right quality is largely being used today anyway. So although you might have a zero carbon concrete, you're really using somebody else's. It's a bit like when you say, well, I, I, I want to have renewable energy. Uh, and unless you expand the total amount of renewable energy, somebody else is using you know, more coal, coal or more fossil fuel. Um, so it, it, technologies that allow uh, poorer quality uh, fly ash to be used or, or, or other uh, cementitious materials to be used, you know, expand the, the total amount available and therefore uh, are contributing to the overall uh, um, reduction in, in the carbon footprint. And then the, the third technology is uh, synthetic aggregates. And so this is, most aggregates are calcium carbonate, a, a limestone. And um, if you take a calcium carbonate, it's uh, uh, over 40% CO2. So if you take CO2 plus uh, calcium oxide, uh, uh, you can make a, a synthetic aggregate. And that has a very significant negative carbon footprint. So if you then use that to make concrete, you wind up with a a negative carbon footprint concrete, so something that's a sink rather than a emitter of, of CO2. Right, well, if you're going to introduce these technologies, I'm sure that you're going to need to make capital expenditure, and I think there are two sides to that. The first, of course, is how that affects your competitivity in the market. And the second is given that you're a world organization and you work in developing countries as well as in developed countries, these different countries are gonna have different capacity for adopting these new technologies. So um, how is that gonna work in the future? Yeah, so I think there's, there's two main um, drivers uh, for, um, yeah, for, for, well, for adopting the, the technologies that go beyond uh, cost saving. So a lot of the work that's been done so far has reduced the carbon footprint and at the same time reduced the cost of making the cement. Now, if you want to go to something that reduces the carbon footprint and increases the cost of cement, then you get into the, you know, the, the question of who's going to pay for that. Yeah? And um, because uh, cement price is very low relative to the amount of CO2 that's emitted, it, it becomes immediately an issue of competitiveness. And indeed, in, in the future, um, how each cement company decarbonizes is going to be very fundamental to their competitive situation. 
Um, but coming back to your question, so I think there are, there are two key um, drivers. And the first one is a carbon price. Now, we could say that in Europe, we've had a carbon price for some time, but, but actually because of the free allocation system, the cement industry in Europe is only just now starting to have to buy uh, carbon credits. So the impact of that in the past has been, let's say, marginal. Yeah. <laughs> if we're polite about it, we'll say marginal. I, I, I did a, a podcast on this um, particular topic um, about a year ago, and, and actually the picture is even worse than that. But anyway, let's be polite and say marginal. Um, but in the future, that will start to have an effect because uh, the, uh, uh, the allowances are being scaled down, and eventually the plan is to move to a, a border adjustment mechanism rather than a, a free allowance mechanism. Uh, so once you have this uh, 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 price on carbon, then you, you have a, uh, an incentive, you know, currently, what, 50 euros a ton or 60 euros a ton uh, to, uh, to reduce your carbon footprint. Now, that's not really enough to pay for uh, carbon capture and storage, but it may be enough to pay for some of these, uh, these uh, new technologies, these alternative technologies. Um, and perhaps we can come back to that one because I think it's quite, it, it, it's at a very interesting stage at the moment. The other mechanism is that we start to see asset owners, uh, so property developers um, uh, in the UK, uh, Network Rail, um, in uh, the US, uh, San Francisco Airport uh, would be examples, who are asking for uh, zero embedded carbon in their buildings or, or are looking for zero embedded carbon in their buildings and are therefore very interested in uh, zero carbon or low carbon concretes. Uh, so in, in uh, California in particular, you see a lot of the tech companies have this kind of ambition. You know, they've said they, wanted to, they want to be net zero. Uh, so when they build new offices, they also want to reduce the embedded uh, carbon in the office buildings. Um, so I think this is one of the driving forces. And I think we'll see more of this in Europe and North America uh, with, with customers saying, you know, we, we want our buildings to be lower carbon. Uh, so obviously there are, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll look at alternative ways of doing that and uh, alternative materials. So I, I, I think uh, uh, we'll see more buildings using, using wood. But uh, if, you, if you look at what concrete is used for, then replacing it with wood is, is only going to be um, a portion of the demand, probably quite a, a small portion of the demand where, where that's irrelevant or, or a possible replacement. So for the rest of it, we really have to find um, ways of, of decarbonizing. And uh, yeah, as I say, the, the, the technologies that, that are being developed now uh, look encouraging, but are still at an early stage. Well, the Paris Agreement has set challenges for all of us and particularly big challenges for your industry. Are you optimistic? <laughs> I think um, when I look at the cement industry and the concrete industry and the, the things that are being done, then it's, um, it's possible to be quite optimistic that we will actually achieve this um, uh, net zero goal. But when you reflect on the overall macro situation, so not worrying about um, you know, a specific industry, but just looking at the total, you know, it's very uh, sobering to see 
how little progress we've made so far. You know, if you look at uh, uh, the primary energy mix, I think in the last 20 years, we've gone from 91% fossil fuel to 89% fossil fuel while tripling the usage. You know, so if you, if you look at these macro pictures, you can see it's really a huge challenge. But I think when, when, when I look at the uh, cement and concrete industry uh, and, and the potential we have, then I can be optimistic. So I shall have to leave it to others to be optimistic about the rest of the economy. Ian, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with the Sustainable Futures Report. Thank you. It's a pleasure to speak to you, Anthony. Ian O'Reilly of the World Cement Association. That's worldcementassociation.org. Thank you for listening to this Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. There will be a regular episode of this podcast on Friday, and as you'd expect, we'll be mainly talking about the opening of the COP26 conference in Glasgow. Next Wednesday, there'll be another interview, and this time I'm talking to a man who has a new angle on solar power. As you know, the Sustainable Futures Report comes to you without advertising, sponsorship or subsidies, but I do appreciate the support of my patrons, who pay a small monthly amount to cover my costs of research, transcriptions and hosting. If you'd like to join them at patreon.com slash sfr, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash sfr, you'd be more than welcome. I'm Anthony Day. Until Friday. Thank you.